What's up? This is episode 070, Focus 40. It's all about picking the right metrics and goals. Welcome to the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show where we think, learn, and explore the product mindset so you can design better products every day. And now your host, Karthik. Welcome back to the Design Your Thinking podcast. And this is another Focus 40 episode that you're listening to. And we started talking to our guest, Melissa Perry, back in episode 69, which we'll continue today. In last episode, in episode 69, we, talk, we talked to her about um, what she believes are the essential ingredients of the product mindset. And she went on to talk about the experimental mindset. That's why we kind of left when we concluded the, uh, the last episode, which is 69. And uh, she talked about the other two uh, key ingredients, which is having a clear understanding of the business, the vision and goals, and also being able to empathize with your users. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please, uh, as soon as you finish listening to this episode, jump over and you can head over to designyourthinking.com slash episode 069. So today, we'll continue the conversation with Melissa where she talks about something very uh, interesting. Uh, we, cont- we talked about the experimental mindset and I had a question for her. The question went this way. What are the biggest mistakes she has seen with teams that's having and practicing this experimental mindset and using experimental or iterative techniques like lean and agile? And uh, you can hear what she had to say about it. But before we went on and jumped into the episode, if you are listening to this episode for the first time, here is a quick intro to our guest. Our guest is Melissa Perry. She is the founder and CEO of Prod UX Labs and Product Institute. Melissa coaches product managers around the world to answer two important questions. Should we build this and why? Working with companies big and small, she helps them find the best product development processes that help them to build things users want. Her clients include Lloyd's Banking Group, Capital One, Spotify, Rovio, Valtech, Plated, Vira UK, and Levo League. She's currently writing Escaping the Built Trap, a book with O'Reilly, which is due late 2017. Without much ado, let's jump right back into the conversation where you can listen to what Melista had to say for my question about what are the biggest mistakes she's seeing with teams that's practicing lean or agile in the way they do it. All right, let's jump right back. Uh, I had one question coming in uh, when you talked about the experimental mindset, uh, Melissa. What are the biggest mistakes you have seen teams make when it comes to making products, especially from, you know, I'm, I'm coming more from this experimental mindset thing. So people think that they're making experiments, they are failing fast, but, you know, I've seen this kind of a, a false prophecy. So you think you're doing stuff, but things are not moving. Um, so yeah. 
you know, on so those I lines, think, what are the biggest mistakes you've seen? Yeah, I, I see that quite a bit. Um, I think it's, I don't think lean and agile are like two separate things too that you should distinct, um, be super distinct about in that area. I think lean is kind of, we use lean tactics to help inform the product management piece of what should be driven in agile development. Um, but what I see people get wrong there is one, two, treating them as like separate entities. Mm-hmm. Like the whole, the whole process with that is that you should be every sprint. If you're going to use agile, if you're going to use scrum, sorry, not agile, that's scrum very specifically. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to use sprints, which are great, I think they're fine. Um, you need to be iterating after it's so when you're running an experiment that doesn't mean you're done that means that you should be checking it against the outcomes that you expect and improving on it to keep going so i see a lot of teams put out like you know one experiment or a landing page and then they said oh good we did an experiment check and then they move on to building it Hmm. or like they call an experiment but it's not it's just their first release so an experiment is a hypothesis at the end of the day and in order to have you know, an experiment in a hypothesis, you need to have an outcome that you're trying to measure it against. Hmm. So there has to be a measure of success. And setting a measure of success is very hard for most product teams, because one, they're either not measuring success right now, like they're checking analytics, and they're looking at the numbers going up, but they're not really thinking about what outcomes do I want for my user or my business. Hmm. They're looking at page hits, right? Like how many people come to this page? But those things don't inform you. Like they don't inform a decision. That's only one piece of the puzzle. You want to look at how many people land on your page and then move on to the next step, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. something you can actually be actionable about and make changes with. So when you're running experiments, you need to success, you need to set success metrics and you need to have outcomes of those experiments that inform decisions that help you take the next step. That's the whole point of an experiment. But a lot of people just kind of choose it as a check. I did something right. And I, I moved on. I see a lot of teams too run experiments, but never kill anything. Like they'll run alphas or betas of their of their products, but that's more of like a check mark that says, "Hey, our product is like has been released to five people, and now it's released to ten people, and now it's released to everybody." Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, instead of saying, "You know, these five people really did not like this. They're not using it. Nobody likes it. Um, maybe we should not put this out there. Like it didn't help us achieve our outcomes." And it's because they're choosing releasing as as a measure of success rather than, you know, looking at what those outcomes are, those metrics of success that should be towards the business or towards the user. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this co- conflict, like, where you can be going through the motions of anything to build a product, but unless you're really relating that back to something achievable that's going to help move you forward, mm-hmm. and those are business goals, those are customer outcomes, like things that really make a difference for your business, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. Right. And how, how often, uh, I don't know if you have this data point, uh, just curious, how, how often have you seen this as a problem because of lack of, um, you know, uh, management support? Because most often, you know, you have a tight deadline either fixed by your executive management or somebody uh, up there, uh, you know, and, and because of that, you don't want to uh, continue uh, experimenting rather you want to conclude with it first experiment and move on um, so yep. ha- do you have any observations on that oh yeah that that is by far the biggest issue I think with anything I I rarely think um, it is it, it's it's a combination of everything when you're trying to change an organization to be more experimental um, 
you cannot work with just the product owners or product managers on the ground floor and expect everybody to be able to experiment and be great. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is systemic. It's the way that companies do budgeting. It's the way that they plan out roadmaps with hard deadlines on it. It's the, you know, the planning processes that they have where they say, you know what, by March 17th or something, we have to have all the goals in for the next year and then nobody's allowed to work on anything else, mm. right? Um, and that's not a very flexible or like reactive um, you know, way of working for your company. It's not, it's not adaptive to change. But that is how companies have been run for the last couple hundreds of years, like we said, with the manufacturing processes where you're done. Right. And that's not how software companies should be, should be run. Like software companies, you need to be a little bit more adaptive. You have to be a little more flexible. So I think what we're going to see over the next couple of years is um, a lot of changes happening in these companies where they're trying to figure out how do I make my processes um, fit into this new world, right? Like how mm-hmm. do I do budgeting for software products where I'm not committing, you know, $2 million or some of these large banks to, mm-hmm. to a team and telling them that they have to deliver this product or they don't get $2 million next year, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's weird things that prevent teams from being experimental that, prevent teams like these this system prevents teams from being experimental it prevents them from building stuff that their customers actually want it's it's all predictable in the company and it feels safe to management but Mm -hmm. it's not good um it's not good for a software team that wants to build things that people actually will use beautiful Beautiful. So uh, I think it's uh, is the right time for us to segue into the last part of the chat because you talked about the next two years, and then the the next part of the chat is what I call as a crystal ball. So mm-hmm. so it, it's a, it's rooted in the fact that we all have opinions, right? So uh, most often we end up ignoring these opinions, but some of these opinions sometimes. Um, you know, bring in these interesting perspectives that uh, in a conversation could trigger newer conversations about the future of products and the discipline of um, product management or design. So the the notion of products products has evolved quite a bit. Uh, You know, we we talk about digital products, uh, APIs, uh, user interfaces, no user interfaces, and uh, IoT, name it. So, Mm -hmm. Melissa, how do you see the notion of products itself change in the next five years? Yeah, I think it's only going to keep going down that route of Internet of Things. Like what what I see happening right now, which I'm really excited about, is this overlap of technology Mm -hmm. into a space of your everyday human life. Like, for example, um, technology used to happen on your computer or your phone, right? And Mm -hmm. I mean... I mean, like more of the development of apps and that groundbreaking stuff. Like, you know, when Tinder came out, I was like, oh, my God, this is cool. But it's an app on your phone that helps facilitate real life meetings. Right. Right. So it was we see like these things kind of branch into our everyday life to make it better rather than happening in these small spaces. And I think those types of things where like online dating made facilitating real life conversations or real life meetings um, different, it really impacted our lives too, right? It impacted the way that we meet people. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that more and more, but I think it's going to be much blurrier line about where these things happen rather than like on a phone or on a desktop. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I have, I'm so afraid it's going to go off as soon as I say its name, but like, I love my Amazon Echo. <laughs> just make sure it's not talking to me. Yes. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'll be talking on the phone and it just starts talking to me and I'm like, oh my God, what, what happened? Um, <laughs> but Just don't say Alexa, so... I think you just said it. Yeah, she's speaking now. Um, hold on. Let me turn her off. Uh, she, she's like, what do you want? Um, but there it goes. 
so <laughs> so I hooked it up to um, I just finally got the the smart light bulbs for my room mm-hmm. and I love it and I love just like calling out to her across um, you know to across the room and being like let's let's turn off the lights or you know turn them back on and stuff and it, it's just now like a seamless part of your everyday experience mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting too how those things have changed how um, how different demographics and age groups have reacted. Like I got my parents an, uh, an Alexa mm-hmm. and they could not figure out, you know, they're in their seventies. They couldn't figure out how to play music for like years. And growing up, we had like a stereo and, you know, we would put the records on the CDs, mm-hmm. the cassettes, everything. And there was always music playing in our house. And since music has been changing, they're having a hard time, like figuring out how to play music. And I got it for them, and they just call out like, "Play Stevie Wonder," right? And mm-hmm. and now they're they're listening to music all the time again, and it's so easy for them to get it. Like they know how to talk to it. So my dad keeps forgetting what her name is, so we had to hang up signs all over the house. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think those types of things, right? It's it's amazing to me how those interactions became more usable, right? You don't have to be a tech genius now to interact with products. Um, they're becoming like more mainstream. Everything's affecting our daily life. And I think what we're going to see in the domain of product management too is in addition to internet of things, more services and technologies aligning. Um, this is something that has come up a couple of times over the last couple of months when I've been talking to people, mm-hmm. they say, you know, we have product managers managing the products, but we have service managers over here managing the services because they need different processes. And I don't think that's correct. I think we need to manage our services, like our our user experiences, more like we manage products. And it's because we don't have a defined product management process. I think that's screwing this up, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to me, like the product management process is about setting a goal, trying to figure out where you're going, uncovering problems in that way, and then improving it to get to a certain point. And you might need new technical domains or market domains, depending on you know experience to inform what those problems are and how to make those choices. Um, what, depending on what service or what product you're on, but mm-hmm. I don't think we're far off. Um, I don't think there's a separate process, right? I think you need different people to manage different things. Um, I think it's the same type of role. And I think what we're going to see over the next five years is a big, is it going to be a difference between, or more of, um, a con- what was I going to say? Convergence, right? Of products and services. They're going to overlap. I think, mm-hmm. you know, our physical products are going to overlap with our software products. I think our lives are going to be a lot more intertwined with these types of technology on a daily basis. And we're going to have to adapt our processes for really responding to that and having a way to think through how do we make that better? Because it's very unknown right now. Yeah. That's that's an interesting uh, perspective uh, about services uh, that you bring in. So, um, you kind of touched upon it, but then how do you see the roles, the different roles of uh, related to uh, product that we have today, like product management, user experience, visual visual designer, name it. How do you see these roles uh, change in the next five years um, along those same lines? Yeah, I think it's going to be. Um, I think. The role of a product manager, I'm trying to think of like how it changes right now. Mm-hmm. Most of the world thinks a product manager is somebody who upfront who gathers requirements and turns them into specs for the technology team. Like, unfortunately, that's the way that it still is. And I don't think it should be that way. But what's happening is the the software companies, right? Like the, the good Silicon Valley software companies understand that that's not the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but these companies that are switching over into software, for example, like banks, banks have traditionally been, you know, um, places where people go in 
to get credit cards or to get bank accounts and stuff like that. Mm. Now they're shifting into the software business. And you see that with some very old, old, um, you know, established companies are all coming into the software business. Mm. Uh, and they're trying to figure out what does a product manager or what does a designer do? A lot of them don't have designers because they, they saw them as the people who make things pretty, right? Instead right. of the people who, who solve problems. And I see what we're going to, I think as more of these established, um, traditionally offline companies become more online and get into the software business, we're going to see them trying to struggle with what is a product manager or what does a designer do? So while it's really fun, I think, to talk about, you know, what the Internet of Things or the rapidly evolving technical advances are over here, which is very important. I think what we have to realize is that 99% of businesses are still trying to figure out what does a product manager do? Like they just literally got product managers this year. Right. right? right. So um, and that that's a lot of people. They're just like, I don't know what a product owner is. I don't know what a product manager is. And so all these people coming from a project management background or a business background and they're and they're thrown into it and there's a go. You know, so the role, um, like I said, I think it should be it's it's a problem solving role. You have to get into this mindset of I'm going to figure out what's the best thing for my users. And that I don't think will change over the years. I think how we approach it and how we get more people on board with that mindset is going to be the struggle. So the role, the role of a product manager, I think is going to be I think the, the definition of a product is going to be more nebulous than the mm. role of a product manager. I think there's always going to be a product manager there to help figure out what's the best thing that we build for our customers. I think designers are going to probably struggle a little bit more as our interfaces change with how do I make great experiences? They're going to have to you know, be very adaptive to the way they change things. And I think design is going to be more important than ever as we branch into that. Even like with the no interface stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You still need a designer to figure out how things should be responding. Um, like I like the Amazon um, Echo story about how they did experiments to figure out what's the right tone and mm -hmm. what's the right response from them and what's the right voice. Like to me, I see that as a design challenge. You're designing a voice. You're designing a response. Mm -hmm. um, and designers are not just people who make things pretty, right? They're good problem solvers that really try to fine tune any kind of solution you throw at them to be great. And it takes a different skill set for depending on what kind of you know solution you have, but um, but it's still a design role in my mind. And I always see like product managers own you know the why we're doing things like now part, like what is the problem we're solving, is it validated, what are the customer goals type thing. But a designer evolves. I mean, really is responsible for you know figuring out what that solution is, figuring out what the right solution is, and that doesn't mean that they don't work together. But that's a complex role that needs to be addressed. Like it's not just one person coming up with the why, what, and the how. It's a mm -hmm. team effort, and they all have to work together to do that. Absolutely, that's nicely put. So uh, great. So uh, we are in the fag end of this uh, chat here, uh, Melissa. So in this community, I I push my listeners to and uh, folks in the email list to take action. If there is one thing you wanted my listeners to do right now after they finish listening to this episode, what would it be? Ooh, um, if you are product people, I think really sit down. I think this is a fun exercise. Sit down and try to figure out what is your success metric. This is what I tell people to do all the time. Um, I have people who come to me and ask like, you know, I'm having problems with my stakeholders. I'm having problems trying to figure out how to prioritize. I'm having problems trying to figure out if this is the right solution write out what is your success metric. Like when you release this product or if it's a product you're currently maintaining how to do our work. And it really, really is helpful. So I would encourage them to try that. 
Awesome. Um, de- definitely. I think this, this is a good exercise to do. So, uh, great. So, Melissa, you have a book coming up later this year, as uh, I yes. kind of talked about early on in the chat. And it's called Escaping the Build Trap. What is this? I mean, what inspired you to come up with this title? And what is the book all about? Um, and, uh, yeah. and yeah, and where can people find it? And when will it come out? A lot of questions. Sure. Yeah, lots of questions. Um, some I don't have definitive answers to, but I can tell you what it's about. So um, Escaping the Bill Trap is the subtitle is How Effective Product Management Creates Real Value. So what I'm trying to do with this book is really the bill trap is this place that we get into where we're constantly focused on shipping out products, but we're not actually taking a step back and thinking about if it's the right product. So it's it's every company gets stuck in this trap, I feel like, and we, we care more about you know, outputs over outcomes, what we're doing for our business. We don't care about solving user problems. We get out of that mindset. And I think we never intended to start that way. I think there's like slippery, it's a slippery slope we got into where the system of our business is with the roadmaps, you know, got us into that mentality, or we just don't understand what good product management looks like. So this book is really for both product managers and organizations to understand what does good product management look like? How do you build great products? Like what what is the structure you need? What is the process? What should people, what are product managers, right? Like what should they be doing? Um, what does a product organization look like? So all those things I believe help get you out of the bill trap. If you understand them, it's easy not to fall into the, um, you can understand how to not fall into that trap. You could stop yourself and take a step back and be more objective about where you're doing good things and where you need improvement. So that that's my goal for the book. Um, it is being published with O'Reilly. Um, right now our tentative release date is around August, 2017. So I hope it will be out in the fall. I am writing as much as I possibly can. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been an interesting process. Uh, it is, uh, if anybody wants to go, uh, check it out or be notified when it's alive, you can either, uh, you can go to my website or thebuildtrap.com and join our mailing list there to, to get notified when it's live. Awesome. So uh, that's definitely uh, a, a must. I think uh, it's an interesting topic to stay aware of. And, and uh, it reminds me of this uh, Starting With Why by Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. where he talks about why, how, and what. So it's great. Yeah. great. So uh, any last thoughts before we kind of do the curtain down? Um, yeah, I guess if anybody wants to learn more about what I do, I run um, a product management online course for 10 weeks um, with mentorship where you get to talk to an expert product manager. It's about trying to get people to think more like product ma- um, product managers instead of, we don't focus so much on tools. We, we give you frameworks to use, but it's not about how to use Trello to manage your business. It's about how do you think about managing um, business goals and customer outcomes? Uh, we are probably going to take the next class around March or April and it's at productinstitute.com. If anybody wants to come and join us, we've got a great community there. There's like people from, I think 15 different countries we have signed up, which blew my mind. I was like, how are people in Australia learning about our thing? <laughs> um, but it's been really cool. We have every continent except, um, I think Africa and Antarctica, which I would love to change, um, represented there, but that, yep. So, um, you can go there to learn more. I, Find me on Twitter at Lissy Jean if anybody wants to keep talking about this. And I hope everybody out there who's listening, you know, goes and creates great products for the user and remembers remembers why they got into this and has a passion for it. Awesome. I think that's a good uh, parting advice. So thanks, Melissa. It's been a wonderful chat. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, thanks, Karthik. It was great.
Oh, wow. That was a lovely chat. And I really, really enjoyed uh, having this conversation with Melissa as much as you enjoyed listening to it. In fact, uh, the conversation is something that uh, took, took us to interesting places. Uh, especially, I really liked what she talked about success metrics and also uh, what she talked about, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to mistakes being made by teams, which are, you know, thinking that they're doing agile or lean, but eventually do that more for uh, more for sake of process than trying to actually you know peg them with the metrics that matter and use that to actually improve the product and finally she talked about uh, the roles of designer and product manager and i really really uh, keep wondering about these differences because most often i have uh, found myself to be playing the role of a designer when it comes to everyday you know product management while some of my designer uh, colleagues have always uh, you know you know have had this confusion whether they are actually product managers because end of the day we all work together to get the product out of the door so this confusion will is bound to be there and i i think it's a good confusion to have and never draw a boundary in terms of what you need to do as a product manager or a designer just go behind the problem and get the problem solved I think Melissa has a lovely course at Product Institute, so do check it out as well. I really like uh, what she talks about in the course because she talks about going after the why. So um, the premise is great, so go check it out. Uh, Again, if you like listening to this episode, go and leave us a rating and review. And if you really like listening to these kinds of episodes, go subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by heading over to designerthinking.com slash iTunes. If you're using an Apple device or if you're using an Android device, go and head over to designyourthinking.com slash Stitcher. Yes, Stitcher is an app that you can um, use for your Android devices. Go do that. Or you can just head over to the website and listen it right then and there. All right. Uh, If you like listening to uh, these kinds of episodes uh, and this kinds of content, do subscribe to my newsletter. You can do that by heading over to designerthinking.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page. You'll find a place, a small button uh, right there. Click that and you will actually be asked to enter your first name and your email address. Do that and I will see you in your inbox. You can find the show notes for this episode at designerthinking.com slash episode 070. All right, that's all I have for today. Until I see you with the next episode, stay tuned, stay inspired. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Design Your Thinking podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter at www.designyourthinking.com.